Chapter 2 of Niels Klim's Journey Under the Ground. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Alan Winterout. Chapter 2 The Author's Arrival at the Planet Nazar. My voyage through the air was now ended. I lay for a long time entirely immovable, awaiting my fate with the approach of day. I now observed that the wants and weaknesses of humanity, which during my passage had ceased, now returned. I was both sleepy and hungry. Fatigued in mind and body, I fell into a deep slumber. I had slept, as far as I could judge, about two hours, when a terrible roar, which had previously disturbed my slumbers, suddenly awakened me. I had dreamed some curious dreams. In one, I thought myself to be in Norway, at the church in my native town, listening to the singing of our clerk, whose voice was really unpleasant from its roughness. My first impression, therefore, on recovering myself, was that the man was indulging in an extraordinarily ambitious strain. In fact, on opening my eyes, I saw a huge bull within a few feet of me. At the same moment, a vigorous roar from this animal convinced me that I did not listen to church music. It was now daybreak, and the rising sun began to gild the green oaks and fruitful fields, which, spreading abroad in every direction, astonished my recovered sense. How much greater was my surprise when I saw the trees, of which there were great numbers in my view, move, although not a breeze stirred. The vicinity of the bull not being pleasing to me, I arose and began to ascend a tree which stood near. As I raised myself by its limbs, it gave a low yet shrill scream, and I got at the same time a lively slap on my ear, which propelled me headlong to the ground. Here I lay as if struck by lightning, about to give up my spirit, when I heard around me a murmuring noise, such as is heard on the exchange when the merchants are assembled. I opened my eyes and saw many trees moving about the field. Imagine my agitation when one of the trees swept towards me, bent one of its branches, and, lifting me from the ground, carried me off, in spite of my woeful cries, followed by an innumerable number of his companions of all kinds and sizes. From their trunks issued certain articulated sounds, which were entirely incomprehensible to me, and which I retained only the words, Pikel Imi, on account of their being often repeated. I will say here, these words mean an extraordinary monkey, which creature they took me to be, from my shape and dress. All this, of course, I learned after being some months among them. In my present condition, I was far from being able to conceive of the nature of sensible speaking trees. In truth, so confounded was I, that I forgot I could speak myself. As little could I understand the meaning of the slow, solemn procession, and the confused murmurs which resounded in the air. I fancied they were reproaching or expressing their contempt of me. I was not far from the truth, for the tree into which I had climbed to escape from the bull was no less than the wife of the sheriff of the neighboring town, to which they were now taking me a prisoner. The buildings and streets of this town were very handsome and extensive. The houses from their height appeared like huge towers. The streets were wide and filled with trees, which swayed about and saluted each other by lowering their branches. The greater this declination, the more expressive was it of respect and esteem. As we passed through a very wide street, I saw a tall oak approach a distinguished house, when the trees which escorted me stepped gracefully back 
and bent their branches to the ground. I concluded this must be a more than common personage. In fact, it was the sheriff himself, the very dignitary whose lady it was insisted I had come too near. I was carried to the hall of this officer's house, and the door was locked upon me. Several trees armed with axes kept guard over me. The axes were held in the branches, which served the same purpose as human hands. I noticed that high up in the branches, each wore a head, about the size of my own, covered with leaves and tendrils instead of hair. Below were two roots, or legs, very short. These trees were much smaller than those on our earth, in fact being about the height of a man. Some indeed were much shorter, but these I concluded to be children. While reflecting on the miserable situation in which I found myself, and weeping over the ill luck of my adventure, my guards stepped up to me and commanded me to follow them. They led me to a splendid building in the middle of the marketplace. At the door of this building stood Justice, cut out in the form of a tree, holding among the branches a pair of scales. I presumed the structure to be the courthouse, nor was I deceived. I was carried into a large room, the floor of which was overlaid with glittering marble flags of various colors. At the upper end a golden chair was raised a little above the floor, like a judge's seat. In it was seated a sedate palm tree, distinguished from the rest by the gorgeousness of his leaves. A little below him were seated twelve assessors, six on either side. About them stood twenty-four officers holding axes. I was not a little terrified when brought a prisoner before these magnates. As I entered the hall, all the officers of the court stood up, elevated their branches, and then sat down. After this ceremony, I was placed at the bar between two trees, the stems of which were covered with sheepskins. These persons I supposed to be lawyers, and so they were. Before the trial commenced, the head of the judge was wrapped up in a black blanket. The accuser then made a short speech, which he thrice repeated. The lawyer appointed to defend me replied in the same manner. A perfect silence then ensued. In half an hour the superior judge rose from the chair, removed the blanket, raised the branches towards heaven, and spoke with much grace, what I supposed to be my sentence. I was then carried back to my prison. While I mused on the strange things I had witnessed, a tree came into my cell with an instrument resembling a lancet in his hand. He stripped one of my arms and made a puncture in the median vein. When he had taken from me as much blood as he deemed sufficient, he bound up the wound with great dexterity. He then examined my blood with much attention and departed silently with an expression of wonder. This circumstance by no means weakened the opinion which I had for some time entertained that these people were shallow and foolish. But my judgment proved to be too hasty. When I was better enabled to judge of what passed about me, by acquaintance with the subterranean languages, my contempt was changed to admiration. I will now explain the ceremonies, which to my ignorance seemed ridiculous. From my figure it was concluded that I was an inhabitant of the firmament. I was supposed to have attempted to violate the person of a chaste and virtuous lady, and for this crime I had been taken to the courthouse for trial. The rising of the branches toward heaven was a common ceremony of religion. The lawyers were clothed in sheepskin to remind them of the attributes of their calling, innocence, faithfulness, and sedateness. The repetition of their speeches was on account of the very slow apprehension 
and cautious decision of the people, by which peculiarities they were distinguished from all the inhabitants of the subterranean world. But what most excited my curiosity was the history of the supreme judge. This was a virgin, a native of the town, and appointed by the king to the office of Kaki, or judge, for her superior virtue and talent. It must be observed that this nation paid no regard to sex in appointments to office, but, after a strict examination, elect those to take charge of affairs who are proved to be the most worthy. Seminaries are established throughout the country to teach the aspirants to public honors the duties appertaining to the direction of government. The business of the administrators of these colleges is to search closely into the brains and hearts of the young students, and when satisfied with their virtue and ability, to give to the king a list of those fully prepared to fill the public offices. The administrators are called karate. The young virgin of whom I have spoken had received four years before from the karate a certificate for remarkable attributes and virtues, and had been invested with the blanket. This blanket was wrapped about her head during my trial. This precaution, however, is taken only in trials such as mine, in which the occasional broad nature of the testimony might have a painful effect upon the virgin judge, should her face be exposed to the public gaze. The name of this virgin was Palmka. She had officiated for three years with the greatest honor, and was considered the most learned tree in the city. She saw with so much discretion the naughtiest questions that her decisions had come to be regarded as oracles. As Themis itself, with scales of equal weight, she judged with candor both the small and great. The sands of truth she, like the goddess, frees from falsehood's glitter and from error's lees. The following account was given to me of the bloodletting to which I had been subjected. When any one is proved to be guilty of a crime, he is bled, for the purpose of detecting from the color of the fluid, or blood, how far this guilt was voluntary or otherwise, whether he had sinned through malice or distemper. Should the fluid be found discolored, he is sent to the hospital to be cured. Thus this process is rather a correction than a punishment. A member of the council, or anyone high in office, would be removed, should it be found necessary to bleed him. The reason why the surgeon, who performed the operation on me, was astonished was on account of the redness of my blood. The inhabitants, having a sort of white fluid in their veins, the purity of which is proportional to their innocence and excellence. I was put at my ease when I observed that the trees generally possessed a large share of humanity. This was displayed in their little attentions to me. Food was brought to me twice a day. It consisted of fruit and several kinds of beans. My drink was a clear, sweet, and exceedingly delicious juice. The sheriff, in whose house I was imprisoned, had immediately given notice to the king that he had by accident got possession of a somewhat sensible animal of an uncommon figure. The description of my person excited the king's curiosity. Orders were given to the sheriff that I should be taught the language of the country on which I should be sent to court. A teacher was appointed for me, whose instruction enabled me in half a year to speak very comprehensibly. After this preparatory course of private study, I was sent to the seminary, where particular care was taken both of my mental and physical education. Indeed, so enthusiastic were they to naturalize me, that they actually fastened branches to my body to make me look as much as possible like themselves. 
End of chapter 2. Recording by Alan Winteroud. Boomcoach.blogspot.com.